Welcome back to the fourth episode of Waiting for a Change, a podcast from Moody Publishers, uh, where we take an inside look at the books transforming our lives and shaping our world. Uh, Today, I'm really excited about the episode we have planned. We're going to be talking about choosing love over fear. And you can probably hear how that is timely already. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but we're in a pretty polarized moment. Uh, Whether you're talking culturally, politically, even spiritually, it's getting a little nasty out there. Uh, Whether you're watching cable news or scrolling through Facebook and Twitter, there is a lot of animosity, a lot of us versus them type of thinking and mud flinging and name calling, personal attacks. Uh, And it can even happen when we're having conversations with family and friends or with fellow Christians. Um, So we're going to get into that in a moment and talk to a really interesting guest. Before we do that, though, I do want to introduce, reintroduce my co-host for this first season, Hannah Anderson. Uh, Hannah is an author extraordinaire. You've heard uh, heard us mention her books on here before, but I want to mention them again. Uh, Made for More, uh, Humble Roots, her latest book is All That's Good, Recovering the Lost Art of Discernment. I encourage you to check them out. If you read one Hannah book, you will be uh, hooked. You'll be a Hannah reader for life. Um, I also want to commend her Twitter feed. It's just she does these really thoughtful uh, threads on Twitter. This is where you have like multiple tweets kind of connected to one another. And she's absolutely fearless. She goes into some topics I wouldn't touch, uh, including politics. uh, But they're really enlightening and well thought out. Hannah, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much, Drew. I really appreciated those kind words. Oh, and I have to say, you. Um, you know, I tried the Twitter thing in my home with my family to try to like give them my insights and it just doesn't have <laughs> the same effect. Like you, I don't get the same reaction. So I, I, a verse comes to mind about a prophet without honor in their hometown. So maybe yeah, that and applies. in their house. In their too. home, yes. In their home. <laughs> so I, I spend way too much time trying to explain to my wife, who is not on Twitter, the kind of controversies and conversations that are going on. And in the middle of it, I'll realize, A, this isn't that important, and B, to try to fill in the backstory is just kind of silly. <laughs> and so that brings me back to reality. I have the same experience with my husband, and I think it really does kind of bring a dose of reality, you know, to what we think is so important and so significant. And I know for him, he's often encouraged me when I get really agitated about stuff. He's like, you know, you don't have to do that. You could (laughs) step away. Those aren't conversations you have to be involved in. Um, So, but I think all of that just goes into the topic we're talking about today. And I'm really excited. Um, Right. It does. And it's, that's true. It's good to talk to people that are not in the the little echo chamber of social media to give you some perspective. And I didn't even intend for this to lead into our conversation, but it totally does because as we'll discuss, social media is a big part of our current cultural climate of polarization. Um, before we get into it further though, let me introduce our guest. I'm so excited to have uh, Dan White Jr. with us. He is, I'll give you just a quick bit of his bio. He co-planted Axiom. Um, an intentional Christian community in Syracuse, New York. He's the author of a few books, including Subterranean and co-author of The Church as Movement. And what we're going to be talking about today is his latest book, which is excellent, um, Love Over Fear, 
and I'm going to reach for it right here because I'm forgetting the subtitle. Excuse me. Okay, here we go. Oh, I love the the subtitle. Facing Monsters, Befriending Enemies, and Healing Our Polarized World. Dan, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Drew. Hi, Hannah. It's good to be with you. Great to have you with us. Okay, my first question for you, um, I just have to ask. So you are Dan White Jr., (laughs) and I assume that means there is a Dan White Sr. And I noticed... I got it right. Okay. And then I noticed you have a, a son named Dan. And so is that going to be Dan White the second or third? Well, How's that work? You seem to be a little bit of a stalker to <laughs> <laughs> cyber stalking you, man. I'm sorry. Yes, I have My a son. Job. I have a son, Daniel, and he's the third. So that's that's awesome. how it works. Senior, junior, and then you go to the third. So that third is powerful though, because I think it sounds really cool. Like Oh, it's epic. I have Oh, it's epic. Yeah. And I have, um, well, he's not just a friend, I guess. He's married to one of my cousins. And his name is, get this, James Richard Rothwell VI. Oh, wow. (laughs) Okay. Isn't that amazing? I'm bowing down to that. (laughs) Yeah. It's incredible. I've begged, and he's not a writer. He's not that kind of person at all. I've begged him to swap names with me because I swear if I had that name, as my pen name, right. I, I'd be famous for something. Yes, but no dice. He won't. He won't do it. Yes. Anyway, sorry. I had to get that out of the way. Um, well, let's get into this. This is such a timely, important book, and I just love the way you handled it. Um, and early on in the book, I forget whether it's like the introduction or the first chapter, but you tell a story about two people in your church um, who came to you and basically said, "I'm out of here." Yeah. Uh, for very different reasons, and then you talk about how that motivated you to explore this topic. Can you tell listeners that story? Sure. The uh, The spark of the book came from that actual moment uh, back in 2011 during the Romney and Obama election, um, which actually makes what we're experiencing now, you know, the contrast is so comical. But uh, I had a I had a woman, a dear woman, um, who would identify as a Republican, come up to me after church one Sunday and tell me she had to leave our church because she didn't feel safe. Uh, she was a conservative, and she did not feel like her views were um, appreciated and. She felt like she couldn't be herself, and she said that she had Mm. to leave to find a place where she would be welcomed. Uh, I pleaded with her that she had a voice at the table, um, but she left anyways. And then two weeks later, uh, a couple came to me after church with the same intense uh, uh, response and said they had to leave our church because they were progressive and they couldn't be in a church that was complicit uh, with people that had such oppressive views. They didn't feel like they could be themselves, um, and they had to move on. And uh, I did the same. I pleaded with them, said they were welcome, they were loved here, um, but it wasn't enough, and they left. And that two-week uh, disruption, um, I didn't really know how to um, respond and I, I didn't really have answers for how to bring us both together at the table. And I began to ask the question, can conservatives and progressives actually share table fellowship together? 
can we stay together in Christian community? Um, and that's, you know, that's almost 10 years ago. And uh, I didn't, I actually doubted whether that was possible. And so that sent me on this hunt to um, explore what it would mean to, to move towards each other in love. And uh, that led me into a lot of what's in the book now. And you write uh, in the book that when life is uncertain, I'm quoting here, when life is uncertain, when civilization seems unstable, fear is our first instinct. And I just think that's so true. I think of the conversation we had on this podcast with Mark Sayers, um, and we talked a lot about secularization in the West and some of the effects of that on Christians. And I think just psychologically, that's been hard for a lot of people where they feel like the ground's kind of shifting under their feet, where they go, you know, what happened? We used to be at least a, you know, a Judeo-Christian ethic uh, culture, um, and, and we, we've, we've changed a lot. And so when I was reading your book, I couldn't help but think about that, that often that reaction is, do you think that accounts for some of, some of the shrill tone that you hear from believers? Certainly. I, you know, in, in trying to figure out how to disciple people um, into a better posture with each other, um, what I, you know, unpacking all the layers, I really discovered that it was ultimately fear that was um, gripping us and polarizing us and even in some sense um, uh, creating paralysis. And um, so the tone that we hear out of each other and is really rooted in this uh, fear that we're losing something. Um, I just had a conversation, two conversations in the last couple of weeks, uh, one with an 80-year-old grandpa, uh, I had a cup of coffee with him, and uh, not my grandpa, but a grandpa. And he said, this is what he said, he said, I've, I, uh, I'm going to be dead in 10 years. <laughs> and he said, and I'm glad I'm not going to be alive any longer than that, because this world is headed to hell in a handbasket. I mean, that's what he said. Wow. And he said, you know, uh, the, he could not have imagined a world where uh, some of these social issues would be so prevalent. Transgender bathrooms, sexual positions taught in middle school, you know, the proliferation of abortion. These are all things that he didn't want to live in. Uh, he didn't want to live in a world that, uh, that was accepting those. And so for him, he had intense fear about that new world that's uh, coming about. Um, and then I, I just met with uh, a black woman in our neighborhood. She's 79. And, uh, you know, we were talking about uh, her past. And she said, you know, in the 40s and 50s, life was exceptionally frightening for her. And um, she couldn't drink at the same water fountain with white folks. She watched her dad get bludgeoned by a few officers because he jaywalked. And she said this line at the end. She said, uh, I was a contaminant in the in your Christian world. Um, and so for her, secularization uh, looks different than it looks like for this 80-year-old grandpa. For her, secularization is violence and being seen as an outsider who is not given the same love as another. And um, so what happens uh, right now, what's happening right now is um, we're beginning to devolve into whose view on secular, secularization is more moral or immoral. 
um, and we get into we get into this ranking. Um, my view is better than your view. Your violence is worse than my violence. Uh, your hate uh, is my hate is justified because of your hate. And um, I I want to move past that. I mean, my book is about that uh, and get us around the table because I find when we move beyond social media and we get around the table. Um, I have multiple stories of both people that would identify as on the Christian left or the Christian right, finding that they actually share a lot in common with each other. Um, and they, 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 they see each other as human. But when we live in these kind of silos, and we'll talk about that a late, little bit later, I hope, um, we, we create these clear categories of us versus them. And so, and all of this is related to our fear of losing a part of culture that we thought we were entitled to. Hmm. No, that's so good. I think you're absolutely right um, in, in talking about the the healing effects of in person, face to face interactions, and how it just humanizes each other. Especially, I mean, even just hearing those two stories that you told of people with radically different backgrounds, different stories, you can't help but feel uh, a measure of empathy. For both of them, but let's talk about how we usually interact, and that, especially when it seems when it comes to talking about issues, whether they're political or religious, it's often let's face it, the new public square is social media, right? That that's where it happens. So, do you see this? Is this being fed by social media, or is this just kind of what you see on social media a reflection of where we're at? Anytime you bring some. Uh level of moderation or boundaries or ethics around how you use social media, you start sounding like you're Amish. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. the, and and that's, that's what I find every time I start talking about social media's influence on us. We it's also, it's often polarizing as well. Um, and the, the research that I've done around polarization um, is that polarization in, in social media in some sense is just riffing off of our, um, existing makeup. Um, so um, we, I talk about in the book how our amygdala, a part of our brain that is primal and uh, only has really two responses uh, to what threatens us, and that is to attack something or avoid something. Social media really cooperates with that part of our brain, the fear-based center of our brain. And uh, what social media perpetuates naturally and rewards is overgeneralizations, um, exaggerated labels, um, being reactive rather than reflective, um, using really uh, simplistic categories of us versus them, holy, unholy, good, bad, oppressed, oppressor, uh, informed, idiot. You know, these, these labels work well on social media. They're horrible for relational interaction and interpersonal presence, but social media rewards that kind of uh, that kind of re response. And um, I like to say that this technology, it's right now, is creating a um, a pissed off pathology. <laughs> it's hmm. mm -hmm. it's it's the part of ourselves that are naturally naturally gets pissed off about what we see that we don't like can become pathological and social media um, does perpetuate that. Um, so the, I say all this and I'm starting to sound Amish and sound like, you know, uh, social media should be completely avoided. We, we have to start developing ethics 
um, around how we use social media. We do have to start developing boundaries around, around our use and how much we use it because the technology itself is um, is 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 really drawing us into our worst selves, um, into shutting down our neocortex, which is our empathy center, and lighting up our amygdala, which is our fear-based center. There's a lot of research coming up, but there's actually a uh, Harvard uh, research that's going to come out soon that I got to look. I got an early look at. And it's exposing that two plus hours of social media by adults, by adults, not children. There's been a lot of study around children. By adults actually increases mental illness. And this, wow. the usage of this, 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 this push towards mental illness, um, um, is because it's it's um, it's just thickening the neurons around anxiety and anger. Um, so that being said, I, I do think that it is, is an aid and a support for polarization. Um, I'd like to see more people actually have a, um, some level of consternation around how they use social media, media um, rather than just embracing it fully or just pitching it completely. I think there has to be some uh, discernment around, uh, around this because uh, – it's having mastery over us. It's discipling us more than we're discipling it. I think that's starting to come. I've seen some books and some conversations going, hey, let's pump the brakes here a little bit. This, these aren't neutral media or platforms that we're using. Uh, they, they have uh, often un unintended um, effects, and you've alluded to some of those, which are quite sobering. Uh, and what's the, the old adage when it comes to brain science, the neurons that fire together, wire together. So when you are constantly being triggered for outrage, um, <laughs> that that's going to have certain effects. Hannah, I'd love to get you to inter interject here, just because like what I said before, and it's not just flattery, you use social media really well. I would be curious about your take on social media in regards to the, the kind of polarized moment we're in. Mm. You know, I think just anecdotally in my own life, I had to come to own awareness of how it was affecting me before I could begin to master it. And I think what I lacked, and I imagine what a lot of other users lack, is just the language or the category to even recognize what's happening because we're engaging with it, believing it's neutral, right? So we come to it, it's available to us, it's been presented to us. We use it the same way we use so much other technology in our lives. And so I don't think we are also being asked to say, so how did you feel after you were on? You know, to, to stop long enough to say, wow, I feel really anxious or I feel really angry and agitated. And so what I had to gain a category for was that this wasn't an entirely neutral experience, that some of the emotions that I was feeling later in the day, perhaps, from my experience online, I had to begin to say, oh, that's why it was happening. Oh, that's that was whatever emotion. And I think just we don't tend to think in terms of fear or anger or anxiety and be able to name them easily or well. And so once I 
gains kind of a sense of, oh, maybe that's what you're feeling. And then was able to link it to, okay, well, what have I been doing today? Oh, wow, I was on social media doing this or having this conversation. It opened a category for me to recognize where my limits needed to be. And so for me, it's not just like a time limit. It's if I'm engaged in conversation with someone and I can begin to be self-aware and say, oh, okay, I'm getting ratcheted up. I need to step away. And to be more in tune with the kinds of things happening internally. Um, so it is more of a temperance issue for me at this point. Um, but I also know that when I do choose to get on Twitter or another space, I get on intentionally knowing I'm walking into a fray, like knowing this is not a neutral space. You may need to be here. You may need to speak in the public space. You may need to voice things that other people need to hear, but you are not in a neutral space and it's going to affect you and to be aware of that. That's so true. I think we need more of that, more of the and it takes some self-awareness to go, how is this affecting me? Is this, you know, am I angry and agitated? Um, am I losing peace over this? Uh, what are my motivations? Those kind of questions um, I know are tremendously important. And I mean, it is weird. And I, I've seen in my, this is kind of ugly, I'm going to admit something here, but I've seen in my own life with social media how sometimes it's almost fun to feed the, the, the outrage and the fear um, and there's a term on Twitter, uh, hate following. So this refers to the, the practice of following people that really trigger you, maybe because you're just, you know, ideologically on a different end of the spectrum, for instance. Uh, but often people will follow someone they disagree with, which is maybe good because you should be challenged in your beliefs, but they do it just to kind of check in on what they're saying and then repeatedly just get angry about it. And there's something addictive about that. I've even found myself doing it, going and checking what so-and-so has to say about whatever controversy is popping up, the controversy du jour. Um, and if I'm honest with myself, sometimes I kind of like that reaction that it gives me. And then maybe you jump in and argue and you can say that you're just defending the truth or whatever, but honestly, sometimes you're just trying to knock down the opponent. Um, so there's definitely a dark side to this for sure. Um, and I, I appreciate what you both had to say on that. I want to talk about another very fraught topic when it comes to this, and that's cable news. Uh, you Do can, we have to? Uh, yeah, I'm, <laughs> we, I know. Isn't that terrible? And, <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I know people, I won't mention names, but that, that just, you know, they sit down after work, they all evening, they just let the cable news wash over them. And, you know, whether they're conservative and it's Fox or they're liberal and it's MSNBC or CNN, um, it just seems like it's, it, it's pretty toxic. So, Dan, I'd be interested in your response. I read an article recently on the Gospel Coalition website uh, making the case for let's pull the plug on cable news. Is that too dramatic or would you kind of, yeah, go, good idea, let's shut it off? I probably would find a lot uh, to get excited about <laughs> just in that title. Um, you know, the thing that comes to mind for me is um, Matthew chapter 5, I think it's 21 and 22, where Jesus talks about um, saying raka raka against another. And yeah, oh, fool. fool, it's e e that, in our context, yeah. it, you know, it could be 
you know, the language of fool can be like, you idiot. Um, and how that is actually, we're guilty of murder um, in some way and answerable to God's judgment when we, when we indulge in that kind of activity. And um, I just think that cable news uh, disciples us to say raka raka uh, about people uh, that we've never met. Um, I like to say this all the time. I know what cable news has told me about you, and I refuse to believe it. <laughs> um, that's what's happening uh, consistently <laughs> from both the left and the right is it is telling me how to think about you, and it's telling me raka raka. And I I know that that bleeds into my, my, my ordinary life, um, and I know it's reshaping me for – uh, not to to seek to love you, but seek to judge you. And um, I would cut that stuff out cold turkey, honestly. And um, I think I think the Apostle Paul has a lot to say around telling the truth. But when we start moving towards mockery, you know, there's there's this uh, there's this continuum where um, we can be truthful, but then start slipping into mocking our opponent. And then mocking a people group, and then uh, indulging in uh, in that, and we might think we're winning, but of, often it's actually just um, creating a dehumanization um, in in me uh, as a spirit-filled Jesus follower, and in those that I want to see transformed. And so, um, I don't know if that helps a little bit, but I, you know, pulling the plug might be pretty close to <laughs> to a good action. Yeah, especially if you're addicted to it. Um, and I think you're right. I'm astonished, actually, that I see so little pushback from Christians uh, on that kind of behavior on social media or that language on cable news where you're talking about the other side, sometimes explicitly calling them an idiot um, or sharing videos where so-and-so owns this person at the four-minute mark or destroys this person. And I go, I don't even know. That kind of language shouldn't even be available to us as believers, should it? I you mean, know, the, that should be off the, the part that's probably the, the, the most grievous to me is that um, we our, our primary interactions now with people that we think are deserve the label Rocka Rocka are, are not actually around the table. Um, we're not actually seeing them uh, looking in their eyes, uh, we're not listening to their story. We're not having to to bite our tongue. Um, most of our interactions are are through tossing verbal grenades over detached mediums, and I think what that's doing is huh. pull, drifting us further and further away from the actual incarnational work of Jesus. Um, and we think that we're winning the culture war or the truth war. Um, uh, but we're we're just drifting into uh, our further into our entrenched categories. Um, whenever I draw people around the table, uh, progressive, conservative, open and affirming, not open and affirming, and I get them to sit at the table, um, the 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 image in their head is often that the other person is a monster before they've actually met them. Um, and this is because social media and cable news has told us that these people are monsters that we need to uh, take, you know, we need to move away from. When you get people at the table, uh, uh, it changes, it changes everything. And so I just have, I like to have a real uh, disciplined approach around all, all technology and how it, 
how much uh, influence and power and um, presence it has in my life. Because ultimately, I want to be able to sit at the table with people that I perceive as my enemy and learn to love them well. And I love how highlighting fear as one of our primal motivations not only helps us understand our own behavior, but has the potential to help us understand those across from the table, that their mm. behavior. Um, I was talking with my 15-year-old daughter recently, and she was saying to me, Mom, so-and-so thinks this, and I just don't even know. How could you even? And I asked her, I said, yes, how could you? Like, what do you think is leading them to that position? What do you think they might be afraid of? Like, what people do things for reasons, <laughs> you know, and even to be able to have this category, to understand our own behavior, to understand where our own uh, contributions to the division are coming from, but, but also to turn it around to say, this person sitting in front of me is scared of something and maybe rightly so. Maybe there are things that are jeopardizing their safety and their sense of being loved and their sense of being cared for in the world. And then to be able to enter in with that kind of compassion to say, it's not just that I'm being tolerant of you or we all can get along, but like I'm actually understanding where your actions are arising from. That is such an important point. Let's take a break here and wrap up the rest of the conversation in part two. Thanks to both of you for your insights on this massively important topic of loving our enemies in a culture of fear and outrage. In part two, I want to take a look at some of the tangible ways that we can actually love people who believe differently than we do. Uh, and we'll discuss something everyone seems to be talking about. And that is Kanye West, the rapper who's had what really seems to be a sincere conversion. So that'll be a fun conversation. Join us for part two. Thanks for joining us for this part. And until next time, keep reading.